Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Did everybody get sermon notes? Did you get a bulletin that wanted one? We can also bring you a bulletin. Just put a hand up. Um, First off, I have to scold you. I know that's not how we want to start, but oh well. So brace yourselves. You guys were too generous last week. Shame on you. (laughs) The gifts that you guys assembled, school supplies, office supplies for Woodside K through 8, I loaded them into my Honda CRV. The back axle sagged just a bit, and I wasn't sure if I was going to make it over the speed bump in the parking lot. And I went over there when I knew Rita would be there, their office administrator, and I said, hey, Rita, I've I've got some stuff. Let me just bring it. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Greg. Just set it here, what have you. On my fourth trip back to the car, she and her helper got big eyes and said, Greg, how many more trips? I said, five or six more trips. And they got really big eyes. Um, so the long and short of it is, I, I saw the overwhelm and I said, hey, Rita, I don't know what your storage space looks like and I don't know what your, your exact needs were, like how much of each thing. So I said, please don't let us overwhelm your storage space. Go ahead right now and tell me what you do and do not need and I will find another school that can use anything that's above and beyond. So the way it turned out, basically, rough math, You guys just donated 10 big bags or boxes of school supplies and two more bags or boxes I need to go find another home for. So thank you guys so much for your generous hearts. Yeah, good for you guys. Um, There's a, I learned uh, years ago, uh, I heard in in a church planting conference, I guess this could be at any church health conference, this question of if your church shut its doors today, would your community notice? And I hope that question haunts us in a good way. Uh, And at least right now, the answer for Rita Holverstadt and uh, Woodside K through eight, they would absolutely notice. So um, good on you guys, allowing the Holy Spirit to make you a generous people. Um, Secondly, speaking of generosity, a little history lesson in case you're brand new or if you've even just joined the church in the last year, you might not know this. So we own some vacant land over here. Uh, there's been a long story, long many stories, I should say, of what was going to happen with the land. For a while, we had it in escrow because a school was going to be built there. They were going to buy the land and build a school. And it did not work out, which broke my heart because I was all excited about having an elementary school next door. But let me tell you the bright silver lining to the dark cloud, because it's ultimately the state of California, so I'm not crying any tears for them. The state of California had $300,000 of earnest money in the deal, and when they walked away in December, that money was still ours. So just when you think that your state is an enemy of the cross, remember that God laughs, because the state of California gave us $300,000. It's ours. Um, You should also know some of you already know this, that uh, three years ago, both of these roofs got replaced, the Connection Center and Pringle Building roof. We had water crisis after water crisis, and we knew the big expensive one was this. This roof costs 150 Gs to replace, 
And so the state gave us 300 Gs. Ha ha, that's funny. Thank you, Lord. And it's getting replaced as we speak. So if you look up there Monday through Friday, you'll see fellas running around doing their thing. And we, we praise the Lord. We're going to be water secure. And we didn't even have to pay for it because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? Right? So um, let me say along that line, uh, Pastor Dennis reminded me Thursday to also mention, uh, if, I know not of you, all of you guys are in and out of rooms one through three a lot. But here in, in a couple of weeks, you're going to want to poke your nose in because some nice new flooring is going in there uh, for the same reason, because God is more generous. You cannot outgive him. Amen? So uh, we're going to be taking our kids and a bunch of other folks that use rooms one through three. That's kind of our best uh, multi-use space for rooms of that size, and it's going to be looking really dapper. And then uh, one more thing. I don't uh, mention Foundation Youth often enough, but we're just going to have so much fun tonight, I need to mention. If you have a junior higher or a high schooler in your life, youth group is every Sunday night at 5.30 here in the Connection Center. Uh, but what you, you need to tell the teenager in your life is tonight is Super Smash Brothers night. Our game is Super Smash Brothers. You don't need to know what those words mean. You tell your junior higher or high school student, they will know what it means. And you say, hey, Pastor Greg invited you to church. And so... Uh, there's also food. There's pizza. Tell them that, and they'll be happy to come. 5.30 is youth group tonight. Um, okay, let me briefly mention giving before we do Bible teaching. Um, you guys have been very consistent and very faithful. Those of you that love Jesus and you call Foundation Home, I appreciate your consistency uh, in laying gifts at the elders' feet, to use the language of Acts. Uh, and something that that's about to, where that's about to manifest uh, to give you a heads up that's very exciting uh, to, to me and to the people that I've spoken with. How many of you guys know we've had the hardest time uh, just like with people walking through and leaving special gifts that we didn't ask for? You know, that's going on every, every property everywhere. There are struggles. We've had electrical outlets smashed. We've had needles left on property, you know, five feet from the door of one of the kids' buildings. Like, all kinds of fun stuff. Other things that I won't mention because it's too gross. Uh, <laughs> all kinds of things. And so we asked the question, hey, could we get a bid on just putting in some nice quality-looking fencing so the courtyard could be ours again? Uh, there are so many dreams. When a couple years ago, when Bruce graciously took this flower bed and made it look like Disneyland, you guys know that flower bed, right? There's one that looks like Disneyland and the rest looks like Six Flags, and you know it's true. You know it's true. Looks like the county fair. Uh, we've been, frankly, a little bit timid to make certain investments because who's going to come through and break something or ruin something or rip something out? And getting those fences in, Lord willing, here within the month is going to allow us to look at our courtyard and say, how could we make this much more hospitable? How could we make this more inviting, especially with things like seating, some tables, some umbrellas, you know, that kind of thing. Starbucks, they can put all their chairs and tables out every morning, and they can bring them in every single night and lock them up because they have paid employees, and they just tell them to do it. We are a nonprofit. It's a totally different ballgame. We do not have the manpower to be putting a bunch of stuff out and back. So anyway, just to put a bug in your ear, when you see fences show up and you go, wow, those are pretty. Didn't see that coming. Yes, you did. Pastor Greg told you. Okay. Finally, let's get on to some Bible teaching. Our series right now is Acts 2.42 through 47 shows us this beautiful snapshot of the church. And I decided, oh, I'm sorry. I pressed the wrong button. Uh, to entitle this series, The Family Crest, let me remind you, A Family Crest 
is a physical representation of all that the family values, multiple symbols assembled together, and you look and go, oh, they care deeply about this. This is very important for them. And this text, Acts 2, 42 through 47, is a Holy Spirit-given snapshot through our brother Luke of this is what the church looks like when she's firing on all cylinders, where things are going well, when God really has her heart. To be sure, are there rough patches in the book of Acts? Those of you who've read the book of Acts, say yes. Are, are Christians going to sin horribly? Say yes. Is there going to be persecution just a few chapters from now? Say yes. There are going to be horrible things. But that, so this, this section is not meant to say everything's always going to go well. That's not the purpose of this chunk of the book of Acts. By the way, if we handed out a Bible, page 907. The purpose of this little chunk is to give some pointers and some guidelines and say, hey, take a look at this. Now, those of you scholars, you just had a yellow flag go up when I said that. You go, hey, Greg, Acts is a history. It is a descriptive text describing what happened. It's not a prescriptive text where Paul is just flat out telling you us or James is telling us who to be or what to be. The reason most scholars and most pastors for 2,000 years have been willing to take this text and operate as if it is prescriptive. Yes, this is the Holy Spirit telling us what to do and how to do it. The reason is when you look through the rest of the New Testament, and the rest of the New Testament wholeheartedly agrees with these principles. That makes sense? You don't have this text saying they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, and then the book of Hebrews says, eh, the apostles' teachings aren't that big of a deal, right? There's no contradiction in the New Testament between this text and all the others. Ephesians doesn't say, oh, devotion to prayer isn't a big deal, right? This text can be embraced as marching orders because the rest of the New Testament echoes it and agrees with it. Make sense so far? Awesome. So last week we talked about devotion to the apostles' teaching. I'm going to oversimplify it for you in three points. Are you ready? Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Amen? All right. You're never going to know if pastor is starting a cult unless you read your Bible. That's how you're going to know. And I've already told you for me, if I start a cult, it's going to start with chocolate. So when Greg starts talking about chocolate an awful lot, you know he finally snapped. Okay? All right. I want you to introduce yourself to two or three folks nearby you, and you guys are going to chat for just a moment. I'll give you 90 seconds. What are two or three things that make Foundation feel like a family for you? What are the top two or three things that make Foundation feel like a family for you? Go ahead and chat.
All right. Is there somebody from your group that would like to share with the rest of the room? What's something that makes Foundation feel like family? Hmm? The people in it, getting into smaller groups than this one. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Communicate, being with friends. What else? Being together, the truth. Oh. Common goals. Oh, you're preaching my sermon for me. I ain't even started yet. Uh huh. Huh? Welcoming. Amen. Amen. Don't need to get the cold shoulder. Yeah. What else makes Foundation feel like family? Having fun together. Amen. Ooh. Amen. Yeah, that was the hardest part about chemotherapy for me. I was gone for three months, and people were like, man, the preaching is awesome. <laughs> no. What else makes Foundation feel like a family? Bear one another's burdens like scripture tells us. We reach our hands in fellowship to every Let me translate that from Church of God in case you guys don't know. The Church of God movement says, hey, we're not going to let Baptists and Presbyterians scowl at each other. Okay? The Presbyterian might have wine with communion, the Baptist hides his wine, whatever. But we're all, all washed by the blood of Jesus. What else makes foundation a family? Last chance before we move on. Oh. Amen, amen. That's right. That's right. That's right. So the, the gospel that we preach is that Jesus died for everybody. So I can't be superior to you. You and I are both sinners. Jesus died for both of us. If we live that out, there's a humility and a grace in the way we interact with each other. There's a natural love. Awesome. You guys are doing well. So uh, as I shared last week, and horror of horrors, I'm committed. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to work on memorizing this text together. So we're going to read our text together out loud twice. Again, if you've got your Bible open, you can cheat, and that's totally fine. That's going to help us memorize it. The first three slides are the text with all the words, and then we're going to do it again with certain words missing. So, loud and proud, enjoy the text with me together. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, 
and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You guys ready for one more time? There are going to be some words left out this time. Ready? Go. All the believers... They worshiped together at the temple each day. Holy Spirit, teach us the text because we will miss it, Lord, if you don't step in. God, our flesh is ready to make excuses to not fellowship with others. Our flesh is ready to choose autonomy and isolation to protect my favorite sins. My flesh is ready to choose isolation, God, because I've been hurt before and I've come to the conclusion that fellowship isn't worth the risk Holy Spirit, would you please heal the past so that we could get the blessing of real koinonia here in your midst. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen. amen. Today's sermon is what is fellowship and how do we go about it? Uh, I grew up in church hearing the word fellowship only used twice. And it wasn't wrong, it was just incomplete. I keep telling you guys, when you say George Washington's face is on a quarter, that's true. It's just not the whole picture. There's another side, right? Um, I heard the, the word fellowship because our multi-purpose building was called a fellowship hall. I love that this is called the Connection Center. If you're not here to connect with people, why did you show up, right? <laughs> This is, this is, I thought it was free Wi-Fi. No, 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 no. To connect with people. I heard the fellowship hall, and then I heard the term fellowship any time that the church was gathered at all. At all. Like, even if we never talked about Jesus. Just being together was somehow magically fellowship which was really hard when I went off to Bible college and I find out that these words in the Bible have very deep, rich, specific meanings. And it turns out the Bible is not silent on what fellowship is, praise the Lord, so we can ask the Holy Spirit what he meant all along. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, five answers to this question of what is fellowship and then seven uh, specific steps that we can take. Not sequential steps, but seven things we can do uh, to joyfully obey Jesus and his instructions on how to be 
uh, a family. This word koinonia in Greek, sometimes a verb, well, if you've got the notes in front of you, you already see this, can be contribution or partnership as a noun. As a verb, it can mean to share, to partake, to participate. So it's multifaceted, and that's what we're going to try to give you a handle on by the time we're done today. Number one, koinonia is headed by Jesus. Jesus says the head of it, or it's not fellowship. Does that make sense? The kind of koinonia that the New Testament writers are talking about, it's a little bit of Mike's answer. The cross, where Jesus died to save all of us, this is where the New Testament would say he spiritually became our big brother and our savior. The moment that the same God became all of our father, Jesus became the head of the church for whom he died. It's headed by Jesus or it's not fellowship. So this puts a gentle pushback on some of our ideas of, hey, we got together, we played hearts. I love hearts, by the way. If you have a heart tonight, invite me. And we never talked about Jesus. We never prayed. We never taught, corrected, encouraged. Like, we didn't do any of the one another's. But we called it fellowship? Mm, probably not. Probably not. Although I will say, if every person sitting at the table playing hearts has been purchased by the blood of Jesus, koinonia will probably happen at that table, right? It's hard to hide it. It's hard to hide it. There's going to be something. Uh, let's take a, a quick and beautiful look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where this gives us most of our answers today for what is koinonia, what is fellowship. God will do this. What is this? You're going to have to go read it. For he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into... I'm going to give you three guesses as to what Greek word was translated as partnership. Renault doesn't get to guess. Koinonia. Awesome. Koinonia with his son. Guys, fellowship isn't just between Christians. We are first invited to koinonia with the one who washed us in his blood, Jesus Christ our Lord. And look at what verse 10 does with koinonia. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. How are they brothers and sisters? They're brought into koinonia with the son by his blood, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, so he's got authority because he bought me. He's not just a, a cosmic consultant. Uh, to live in harmony with each other. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus, to live in harmony with each other. So that's one of the definitions of koinonia. Let there be no divisions in the church. That's another definition of koinonia. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. That's another definition of koinonia. Are all of these things easier to say than to do? Yeah, it's going to be hard, but we're going to walk through it. So this first one, koinonia is headed by Jesus. I want us to contemplate communion for a second. The word itself tells us something. It is the saints gathered together in a special way and gathered with the Savior who shed his blood to wash away our sin. It is interesting to me, of all the languages that are spoken on earth, that have been spoken on earth for 2,000 years, of all the cultures, the nationalities, different people in charge, just different ways of doing government, different ways of doing culture like music and art and poetry, for 2,000 years, if you stumbled across a fellowship of the saints, 
there was unleavened bread and a cup anywhere you go. If you had a time machine right now and you could go to any point from the writing of the New Testament, well, before the writing of the New Testament, till now, and at any point in the future until the Lord returns, and you go and find yourself a group of Christians, you might not understand the way they think, you might not know what language they're speaking, what country they're a part of. What's that flag on the wall? I've never heard of that. Well, it's the year 3100. This, this country doesn't exist in your mind. Oh, okay. Nothing would make sense, except there might be a cross at the front of the room, and there would be some unleavened bread, and there would be a cup, and you'd go, oh, these are my people. These are my people. This is how I know we are a people. You see, our koinonia is headed by Christ. Is it hard in a verb sense to have fellowship with folks where you don't speak the same language as them? Yeah, tons of barriers. But it's not a barrier that intimidates God. And when he takes us to heaven, somehow the blood washing us will be enough. We'll be, we're already one family. We're going to have one language. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. And we will have realized that all along we were praising the same Savior, enjoying the same Savior, worshiping the same Savior. Communion is this symbol of a fellowship because I know in our germaphobic 21st century, we have made these nice, cute, individualized little wafers. But let, let me back up to the 30,000-foot level and talk about church history the vast majority of the church has done exactly what Jesus did. They've taken one piece of unleavened bread. Unleavened because yeast is a symbol of sin. So I know you guys love you some French bread. I love me some French, some sourdough, hallelujah. But if we feel so inclined to echo the biblical image, we use something that does not have yeast in it because now it's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the only body who was sinless and could go to a cross effectively for us all. A sinner, no matter how much he or she loved us, they could not go to the cross effectively, right? They've taken an unleavened piece of bread and it was one piece. Jesus took one piece on the night he was betrayed and, and gave a piece of himself to all of us. He did not take five different pieces and we say, well, all roads lead to Rome. There are lots of ways to reconciliation with God. There are lots of saviors who have offered to die for you. That's nonsense. It's not true. The image is there for a reason. One sinless savior offered joyfully, might I add, from the book of Hebrews. He looked at his cross. He looked at the horror of the cross and he did it, at least one reason, for the joy set before him. Communion is this loud, it's this atomic bomb. For us, it's monthly. It goes off that screams out, we are a people. And this is the fountainhead of all koinonia. There's all fellowship that happens for brothers and sisters in Christ. It starts with the headship of Jesus, which is in place because of the blood of Jesus, right? We get into Revelation. Uh, John is weeping that no one is worthy to open the scrolls. No one can judge the world. God, I'm reading the evening news and all hell has broken loose. It's awful. I'm yearning for justice and no one can bring justice. Of course John is weeping. And then when they look up and they see Jesus, they go, oh, he's, they praise him. They break into song immediately and they say, you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory forever because you had some really nice teachings and we decided, we voted, and we thought you were cool. Is that what the book of Revelation says? 
No, it wasn't a democracy. It wasn't a popularity contest. Because you were slain. That's why you're worthy. That's what the text says. So the gospel is the fountainhead of all fellowship. It makes us a people. Second answer to the question, what is fellowship? It is purposeful harmony. We already saw it in the text earlier. Of choosing, depending on the text you have, it might say agree wholeheartedly. If you live on the same planet as me, that text is downright frustrating. Agree wholeheartedly? God, we have some different opinions. I don't know if you've noticed. We've made an Olympic sport out of dishonoring and disrespecting each other, especially through digital media, because I don't have to look a human being in the face. What do you mean agree? I can't just choose to agree to have the same position that she has, and she can't just choose to have the same position that I have. So let me ask you an important question. Is this command asking you to be a doormat and give up everything that you think and believe? Agree wholeheartedly. Choose harmony. Hmm? So there are some, some non-negotiables that make us a family. I agree with that, absolutely. What else? He's saying pursue harmony. He's saying agree wholeheartedly with each other. But don't, don't I have the right to have certain beliefs? I kind of have to. I have to have certain beliefs, don't I? Well, let me use an example uh, to help us flesh this out of something that was super poisonous in the culture, and by God's grace, it was not poisonous here. You guys ready? Everybody breathe, because some of you are going to get triggered. Okay. Mask policy in 2020. Okay. That was a cultural punching bag. We're all going to yell and scream and cuss, and you guys are stupid. No, you're stupid, and blah, 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 blah. And you know what your elders did? I was so proud. Their starting point was, we're not judging each other. That's the world's behavior. We're starting with that. We're not doing it. Because your elders know the scriptures. Man, there was no more deep-seated conviction for our brothers 2,000 years ago that it was blasphemy to eat meat that some pagan had ritually sacrificed it to a, a pagan god before they brought it to market to sell it. That was a deep, deep uh, ethical issue, particularly those that had been Jews before they met Jesus. They met their Messiah, what we would call a completed Jew. This was hardcore. And they're surrounded by brothers and sisters that don't have any problem eating meat that they bought at the market that was probably sacrificed to idols because they're saying... Well, we know those aren't real gods anyway. There's no hex on it. There's no, there's no evil spirit that's been put on this steak, medium rare, from Texas Roadhouse. Hallelujah. <laughs> there's no demon. I, this might drive out a demon. I mean, we need to eat more of this. <laughs> Who knows? But there was very real disagreement. And Paul, although he did tip his hand and, and say which side he came down on, he emphasized hey, we're going to love each other and we're going to be gentle in the way we hold our opinions and pursue what we believe is ethical. 
we're going to be gentle about this. Because the rest of the world is busy going, you guys are stupid because, no, you guys are stupid because, and then, right? There were a lot of opportunities for the church of Jesus Christ to shine in 2020 because everything was on fire. And, and the very beginning of honoring Christ then and now is simply going to start with love and humility. Because, <laughs> right? Is there anything bad that flows out of those two things? <laughs> Against these things, there is no law, the scripture tells us. So here's how I put it. If you don't have notes, take a picture. If this is a blessing, this is how it made sense in my brain this week. If it's a colossal mess, I apologize. Harmony, this is, I'm using musical language now, my musicians, hope you're with me, doesn't mean that we play the same notes. How many of you guys know if two instruments play the exact same note, it's not a harmony, right? Okay. That would mean conformity. Harmony means we find out how different notes can complement each other to make music that displays the beauty of Christ to the world. Harmony is notes that on purpose are different notes, but they operate in a way where the human ear can go, oh, that's beautiful, instead of disjointed, okay? If you play a D and a D sharp at the same time, ding, 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 you know that Jaws is coming, the lady's gonna get eaten, and we're very sorry, but you shouldn't have been swimming in the ocean. There's no harmony there. There's just tension and stress and, well, hon, it's going to be quick because those, 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 those teeth are really sharp. Harmony, anybody can sense the beauty of it, even if you're not a musician. You can just hear it and go, that is beautiful. Like when Josh Groban and Faith Hill did a Christmas album together 15 years ago. It was amazing. You guys should look it up. Anyway. Harmony doesn't mean that we force members of the church to play the exact same note, okay? Harmony is, listen, I have my perspective. That perspective is probably not going to change. You have your perspective. How can we do this in a way that makes Christ famous to the world? How can we do this in a way that's beautiful? Let me be practical because my job is to lead you, not simply uh, cheerlead. This isn't in the notes, Oh, you guys are going to be mad at me. That's okay. What if it was Christian Republicans that led the way, led an army of compassionate border policy? No one's expecting Republicans to bring compassion to border policy. What if Christians did it because they were Christians? What if Christian Democrats led the way toward women who have got unplanned pregnancies, getting all the love and care and resources that they need in a non-judgmental atmosphere? What if it was Christian Democrats who led the way to make sure that an abortion never, ever happened in America ever again? Is anybody expecting Democrats to do that? Maybe Christian Democrats. So instead of you saying, hey, don't be a Republican anymore, instead of you saying, don't be a Democrat anymore, maybe you just let the gospel saturate your worldview so much that you start behaving in a way that the world goes, whoa, their Savior's amazing. That's harmony. They're on the same page, and they're, not supposed, they're supposed to hate each other. 
But they lift holy hands in the same room, free from anger and controversy, every Sunday morning. That confounds me. I've never seen anything like that. I don't Maybe that tomb is empty. Maybe, just maybe. The third thing that koinonia is, it's hard-fought unity on conviction, of conviction on primary issues, is what you were hitting on a second ago. When you said in the text, agree with each other wholeheartedly. Uh, It's not a laying down of all convictions. It is about primary issues and keeping the main thing the main thing, keeping secondary things secondary. Uh, I'm going to speed up because it's 9.08 already. So here's uh, you guys' favorite picture from your favorite church council. Nicaea, AD 325. Where... The leaders of the church had to get together to decide really basic things about who Christ was because there was heresy floating around in a big way. And all these pastors across the known world are going, man, we're hearing this nonsense. What are you guys hearing? Letters and a little bit of travel back and forth. And we didn't have the internet. So they had to say big things like next spring, everybody show up at this one city and we'll sit there and talk for months on end and hammer this out. And from that, amongst other things, came the Nicene Creed, which today as a Christian, you read it and you'll go, well, duh. Of course, that's what we believe. The problem was 300 years after the ascension of Jesus, they'd been operating off of the verbally proclaimed and some texts written, you know, much of the Bible was probably finished by AD 65, definitely by 90. And they're going, hey, we don't believe this, do we? We believe that, I thought. We need to clarify this. And the whole, the dirty little secret of a lot of the big church councils, if not all of them, they were all responding to heresy. We wouldn't have to get together and chat and compare notes if somebody wasn't spouting some nonsense but they're spouting some nonsense. And so we need to get together and just make sure that we understand what is it that we really believe. And I I have to, sadly, I have to say, this this is just how uh, the enemy works in the church. He takes sheep and lures them off to the side, tells them they don't need the rest, tells them that they're really smart on their own, they've got some really great ideas. And then what happens is those sheep who are off on their own, they plant some flag that's well outside of the sheepfold. And then they use Christian language in a spiritually abusive way and they call for unity. I, I put it up if you want to. They, they're calling for unity. Okay, guys, can't we just have a conversation? I mean, did Jesus literally rise from the dead or is it more of kind of a metaphor of the beauty of resurrection in your life? This has been going on. It's tragic reading a church history book. It's the same formula over and over and over. And we need to know what the big things are so we can just gently and sadly say goodbye when someone leaves. I know nobody wants to talk about this. We want to be happy. But we cannot honor our Savior if we cannot gently say goodbye to ideas and people. It's like, I still love you. I will weep in prayer for you. But you left. I didn't move. I didn't go anywhere. Had this happen, uh, quite a bomb went off in evangelicalism about nine or ten years ago. Uh, A guy named Rob Bell, who was a pastor in Michigan, and he was the darling of the evangelical world, and everybody's like, oh, wow, we're the great Bible teacher, how awesome, blah, blah, blah. And he decides one day to write a book about how hell is not forever. 
well, you, you're in there for a while and you suffer for a little while, but obviously there's a limit to how much you sinned and then you've suffered long enough and then you get to go into heaven because you suffered long enough. So his theology, it was okay for him that heaven could be forever, but it wasn't okay for him that hell could be irrespective of what scripture clearly teaches and that doesn't even hold up weight logically about sinning against the infinite holiness of God. Yeah, there's so many problems, but it's such a mess. But here's how you know it's a mess. When Francis Chan feels so burdened by the book you wrote that he writes his own book to refute everything you said, that's not a good day because Francis is pretty awesome. When Bible teachers get up and go, I cannot be silent about this. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be clear. I still love him, but that's wrong. Folks wander from the fold. They plant some flag where they won't negotiate. They've chosen non-repentance. And they say, you have to come over here or you're threatening the unity of the church. Guys, that's demonic. It's demonic. You don't get to wander off and make some statement that's clearly outside of Scripture. The biggest one right now is my feelings are more true than anything else. There's so much nonsense that flows out of that one cultural belief. People are following their feelings. They don't actually care what Scripture says, and then they will abuse you, saying, you're fighting against the unity of the church. And our text, the Bible says, they went out from us because they were never one of us. That's heartbreaking, but it's still true. So we pray for that person, we love that person, we serve that person, and one of the ways you can serve somebody most, if they're in your life, is to be really clear. You can call yourself a Christian, but you understand you just don't seem to really care what the Bible says. So you say you're Muslim, but you eat pork. Huh? What is koinonia? It's the humble consideration of your siblings' needs. I'm not gonna go to Philippians 2, specifically the first five verses, but it's another text that echoes a lot of the things in 1 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10 to describe what does the fellowship. It's a humble consideration of your siblings' needs. Um, for example, coming up on Friday night, September 8th, 6.30 p.m., right here in this room. You could come if you want. We're having a meeting of our... Uh, of our ministry leaders, where we are going to compare notes so that we don't stomp on each other's toes, right? You have an event the same night, okay, let's plan, let's work it around. Also, I get to hear what you're doing and be encouraged by that, and you get to hear what I'm doing. Yes, there are, there are multiple birds being killed with this one stone, but something that's really happening. I get to humble myself in consideration of your needs when I hear more about what's going on in your ministry. I cannot humble myself before facts that I don't have. Does that make sense? I find out there's a struggle. Now I can do something with that struggle. Oh, there's some need. Now I can respond to it. I can defer. You guys want to accomplish this during the month of January? Awesome. I had some thoughts about January, but you know what? I can now defer because that's beautiful and awesome, and I can see why January is a good month for you guys. I'm going to move and change my plans, right? Not doormat, deference not doormat, deference. And when the leaders over the ministries of the church are able to humbly defer to each other and meet their needs, they're not just meeting the needs of the other leader. That leader is representing an entire group, right? 
Dennis is gonna bring us some stuff for senior adults. I might bring some stuff for youth ministry. These groups are not in competition with each other. Can I get an amen? Okay, we are in the room to figure out some harmony. We'll find some harmony by humbly deferring to one another. How many of you guys have seen the movie Up by Pixar? Uh, if, I know I say this every once in a while, but if you can make it through your first viewing of the movie Up and don't shed even one tear, you have a heart of darkness. I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, this film starts off with Carl, the older guy, pursuing his own desires. His wife has passed and their dream was to go on this trip to South America together. So all he's trying to do is get to this place in South America Russell, at the start of the story, is only trying to meet his own desires. He does not have a dad who is actively in his life, and he's trying to get all the junior woodchuck badges, and he's kind of trying to do so without guidance. And it's the next badge that he needs to earn that takes their two stories, and they collide, because the badge he needs to earn is assisting the elderly. So he shows up, on Carl's door, cold calling, so to speak, knocks on his door and asks if he can help. And they end up swept away into this adventure together where there's this annoying but adorable kid and I'm kind of stuck with him and oh well. And you know what? Carl found out in the end what he needed, the son that he never had was the annoying little kid that got thrust upon him. And Russell, the dad he was yearning for but didn't really realize, he didn't need another badge. He needed a dad. Their needs, which are somewhat obvious to the viewer at the beginning of the movie, what they really need, their needs were not obvious to them. And by the end, they're sitting on the side of the street together eating ice cream cones and playing this game where they count the color of cars. And you realize he got a son and he got a dad. Koinonia is the humble consideration of other people's needs so that we can do something about it. Fellowship is headed by Jesus. It's purposeful harmony. It's hard-fought unity of conviction on primary issues. It's humble consideration of your siblings' needs, and it is shared ministry. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1, koinonia is used as the term when they're talking about collecting a gift to fund missionaries. It is, happens to be missionary work, but the word could be used in any way related to our shared work. We care deeply about this same thing, and we're taking a collection, and we are koinoniaing this thing. It is the fellowship that has the desire to fund the missionary. It is the fellowship that puts the money together. And it is fellowship to fund that missionary together and to pray for and send that missionary. Um, so I want you to think of a couple of ideas. Um, I need to get it on the calendar, so I'm going to check with a couple of folks. But this fall, something I, I know did not happen last fall, we need to do a playground cleanup. We're going to get uh, some, a fresh coat of stain on that playground and tighten the bolts and pull some weeds. We try to get out there twice a year, but it's, it's been hard to do that. Uh, do you have to, trivia time, do you have to have a child right now 
that is sixth grade or younger, fourth grade or younger, and in this church in order to care about the playground's state. I love how many loud no's I got right away. How many of you guys, just for, for personal testimony, personal testimony, you do not have a child here in this church, but you see kids playing out on that playground and it makes your heart warm? Anybody? Who, who's seeing, who feels like you're seeing the future of the church? Because we're in here yakking when they're being taught the gospel and we know our teachers are doing a great job, but we, it's before service and after service, we're like, oh yeah, there's some short ones here. They're cute. And we're teaching them to love Jesus. That is koinonia, guys. When we care deeply about something, even if our own nuclear family doesn't necessarily benefit, but the family at large benefits and so we care, that's koinonia. That's koinonia. Or bottles for life. Last October was our first crack at it. I want to do it again this October. We found every spare coin in our car, under our couch, our friend's couch maybe, put them in bottles and we donated to Sierra Pregnancy and Health, a Christian-run medical clinic that does not charge one red cent to any woman who comes in who would like counsel, emotional or spiritual, or otherwise who would like a free ultrasound, who would hear her baby's heartbeat for the first time and be given options other than abortion. Guys, you can't not offer abortion and get state funds. You understand that, right? Sierra PNH operates entirely off of the kindness of Christians who say, you guys have to be open. You can't, your doors cannot be shut. That's not going to work. That is a picture of koinonia across hundreds of churches. We don't know our brothers and sisters at all the other churches that help to support them. And yet, there is still a unity of purpose and a unity of ministry because we fund the same thing. We pray for the same good group of folks. Now, fast and furious because I'm long. Again, some blanks to fill in. Practical people, here's how we make koinonia happen. This one's about attitude. This one's about mindset. Expect fellowship to be hard fought, not accidental. You're not going to get genuine fellowship by osmosis. Expect it to be hard fought. If we told all our young'uns that marriage was easy and then we got them married off, would the divorce rate go up? Okay, just checking. Just checking. Second, there's no blank on this one. Faithfully participate in both large and small church gatherings. Uh, I want to say on repeat, and, and we're, uh, we've got info at the back table for fall disciple groups. I'd love for you to go look at. Acts 2.46, amongst other texts, is what lets us know the small group is not junior varsity church. It is equal to the large group gathering. Acts 2.46 says, they met in Solomon's colonnade. Why? It's big enough for everybody to be there and they can hear Peter's sermon. But then they met house to house daily for meals and for the Lord's Supper and for relationships, right? These are a left foot and a right foot, not varsity and junior varsity. You want to build koinonia? Pray with friends. Pray with friends. I'm excited about what God's doing. This was just a few weeks ago. Guys, there was no called prayer meeting. Nobody said, this is the defined time when you're allowed to have a need, where you're allowed to share your need, where someone's allowed to pray. You do not need permission to carry out the kingdom of God. You already have it. You just stop and you take your brother to the feet of Jesus. You dig a hole in the roof and you lower him down. It's your 
privilege. Just pray for one another. There's koinonia in that. Why? You're praying to the same Savior, same purposes, same heart. Here's something you can do. Come 20 minutes early to weekend service. Stay 20 minutes late. Why? Because koinonia doesn't happen by osmosis. It's going to take purpose. It's going to take initiative. It's going to take effort. It's going to take time. Be with people. Make friends. Are you a ninja? There's no point in raising your hand and saying, yes, I'm a ninja. Because then we know you're not. A ninja, you don't know they're there until it's too late. A ninja can sneak in. A ninja can sneak out. They do not want to be seen. They do not want to chat. They do not want to know others. They do not want to be known by others, right? You could be a ninja because you got hurt, and that's why I'm praying you back into fellowship. I understand church wounds. I've been there. In fact, probably every saint sitting next to you has been there where the sheep bite. Some of us forget for a moment that we're not a wolf and we act like a wolf and we bite, right? You might have your reasons for being a ninja, but I want you to know we love you anyway and we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna do our best. I mean, I know you're trying to sneak in here late. You're trying to sneak out early. This is more common at really large churches. Don't be a ninja. Because God has so much blessing he wants to pour out into your life through your siblings. Your siblings is how he wants to bless you. Jog or work out with a friend in the church. If you need hypocrisy personified, it's, it's Pastor Greg telling you to go jogging. But we need to steward our bodies, right? They are purchased with the blood of Jesus. You're gonna do this anyway. You're gonna go to the gym. You're gonna walk your dog. Do it with a friend from church. Live life together. Koinonia is the common life. Go do it together. Go to a sibling's house. Do a chore for them they can't do for themselves. Wouldn't that be koinonia? If the Bible says koinonia is saints putting gifts together to fund a missionary, isn't that koinonia too? Serving somebody? I had a brother come over to my house just a few weeks ago and install a sensory swing in the back porch because I was struggling. I didn't know if I was using the right drill bit and blah, blah, blah. I texted him. He came over the next day. Bada bing, bada boom. Easy peasy. That's koinonia. Have friends over for dinner without a special reason. Oh, brothers and sisters, we're Americans. We're terrible at this. Let's get better at this. Trivia question. Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't say it out loud just for your own soul. How many siblings in this church can show up at your house without you first having to clean and pick up? Right? When you're new to a church, the answer is zero. And then by God's mercy, it becomes maybe a two I feel loved and accepted by them. They're cool. They wouldn't judge me. And then by God's grace, maybe it becomes a five. Maybe mercifully it becomes a seven or an eight. And then you'd have to ask, is it just theoretical they're in my house and I'm not worried about appearances? Or have they actually been in my home? Have they actually been in my home? Allow me to pray for us. Holy Spirit, the same thing that we always ask. Would you please 
take us to the biblical ideal, what you are trying to teach us about fellowship, Father, would you take us there, please? Take us there. Holy Spirit, you know every barrier in the heart of every man and woman in this room. Would you smash past those barriers to give us joy-filled obedience on what the community's fellowship is supposed to look like? Would you grow us and make us really strong in this area? We ask for this, God, because we want you to be cherished and people to be cared for really well. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Go check out the back table. If you are not connected to a disciple group that's starting this fall, we've got info back there, and you can call or text the group leaders. Love you guys.